0: Good evening, and welcome to the program. Tonight, for your quintessential listening poetry pleasure, Sarah Moore Wagner is here. Sarah's poetry has appeared in numerous journals and and anthologies. She has been the recipient of multiple awards, including the 2020 Driftwood Press Manuscript Mm -hmm. Prize for her new collection, Hillbilly Madonna, which is out now. And available on driftwood press as well as amazon she has also offered the following collections tumbling after redwood chatworks 2022 and Hooked through 2017 welcome sarah
1: thank you so much for having me i'm so happy to be here
0: all right, <laughs> all right. <laughs> give me just a little bit more enthusiasm sarah
1: I'm sorry, I'm I can't quite hear you that well. Sorry.
0: (laughs) Okay, we'll figure it out. All right, are you ready for this poetic journey?
1: Yes, I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. All right, let's begin. Okay. What I'd like to know
0: is, what is poetry?
1: What is poetry? Um, Well, actually, I was just um, I just started teaching our my poetry unit to my students at Northern Kentucky University, and this is something that we really talk about a lot because um, I feel like they're kind of raised to believe, or at school they get this idea of poetry being this difficult thing or this puzzle or riddle. And I love how um, the poet Mary Rufeal she says that poetry is an act of the mind and um i just i just love that because for me poetry is is some kind of um i mean it's intellectual but it's also our our desire and instinct to make meaning of things that are hard to put words to so i think artists and musicians do that through you know notes and images and and poets we do that through words we use words to kind of mm-hmm. describe these big things that that are acts of the mind or acts of the heart or different things than, than story or, or the other genres.
0: All right. Very nice. I like that. Mm. We're making meaning of the world through poetry. Yeah. Tell me more about that process.
1: Well, for me, um, you know, usually it starts with some kind of image or idea or, um, confusion even, an irritation mm-hmm. about something. And then, you know, for me, the process of of figuring out how to make that into something beautiful um, yes. is what poetry is.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. What I'd like you to do now is to tell me why you believe poetry is important. Why is it important?
1: I think, you know... Uh, I have a friend, one of my good friends, uh, Ray Hoffman Jagger, who just had a book out, but she, at her book release, she had these tote bags that said, um, poetry saves lives, which, you know, some people, I think there have been a lot of discussions on the internet where people will mm-hmm. say, oh, poetry doesn't matter, only poets read poetry. But I really do think that that poetry is a way for us to, you know, Adrian Rich says us uh, Break silences, speak through silences, and and a lot of times this does save people's lives. It helps us. It helps us to understand each other, and it helps us to kind of speak things that are hard to put words to in a way that that allows other people to see us.
0: All right, please share a <laughs> poem.
1: Sure. So I'll share the first poem um, from my manuscript or my book now, <laughs> "Hillbilly Madonna." which is called Fit to be Tied. The moon is suddenly there in the dusty blue sky, just like the smooth, flat stones we throw into the pond, sitting in tall grass, cattails fat and brown as our legs, welted pink with mosquito bites. Sweat circle your head like a halo. You blow on a tight reed, taut between your two thumbs, Whistle so loud the chiggers rise up from the earth in a cloud. No one told us how to live as a girl would. To clean the dirt from our toenails. Shave the holler from our limbs like scraping paint off an old truck. It's so hard to tell a star from a lightning bug when the evening sets. You have to really look at it to see it blinking through the blackness. I lose your face just like that the way the bulb of an insect can go light dark as you trace it through the sky. Let's play that game where we lie so still this landscape forgets us. The crawdads and toads bloom into the night until our bodies become more than vessels carrying in the next dawn and the next. Until we are this valley, budding and brilliant hillscapes, established and settling stones. Until our father comes shouting, headlights blazing down the dirt alley, lifts us into the truck bed, the indentation smoothing the outline of the land from our backs. One day we will be mothers, I say, as the sky races above us and we bump back and forth into the next stage of our lives, summer, even now, gone. Wow. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> you know, there's, <laughs> so <in> <laughs> there's so much in that poem. There's so much in that poem, sir. So much to unpack. So what I'd like to know as we start to unpack your poetry, tell me about the collection itself, you, Billy Madonna. What made you mm. decide to write it?
1: Well, hopefully Madonna, um, it really comes from my experience as being the child of um, – two Appalachian people. So my mother is from West Virginia and she, um, moved to Columbus, Ohio, the capital of Ohio, um, after her mother's murder. So, um, there was Mm -hmm. a, a, um, it was a big, she's from Parkersburg, West Virginia. And actually the police officer who, um, was in charge of the case of her mother. It was actually her mother and her grandmother were murdered by her grandfather. And my mother was there and he wrote a book called violence in the Valley about this. And my mom was like 14. And, and so this kind of has hung over me my whole life because my mom mm. was very young when I was born and she moved to Columbus and she met this, you know, hillbilly guy. Um, my dad, who was from Southern Ohio, Appalachia, And, um, you know, they weren't together for very long before they they split their ways, but they both um, so carried in them this idea of what it means to be Appalachian and what it means to be a hillbilly. And um, so then I was kind of split in two ways. My mother, who even though she's from Appalachia, she um, didn't identify with being Appalachian. Mm -hmm. Um, She wanted to kind of leave all that behind her. Um, My father, though, he built, like, a cabin out of junkyard scraps in the middle of the woods, like, on land that's not even his. So I spent Mm -hmm. a lot of my time kind of between those two worlds. And so, you know, I just was writing poems about my childhood and um, where I came from and, and the struggles that I had coming up being kind of torn between these two worlds where my mom kind of, forcing me back on the line as, as wild and carefree as I would get. Um, And I thought about all of the friends that I've had, you know, I grew up during the opioid epidemic during, um, you know, the time still is happening, but everyone, um, I know from where I come from has been touched by heroin and opioids in some way. So I just had a desire to number one, explain this kind of, split childhood and number two um, put a face to women especially who come from this area who struggle with drugs particularly heroin and opioids Um, and to take back that story from people who would like to um, pigeonhole women like this and women like my family and and me at times um, and say that they're degenerates and unworthy of of, um, redemption. And so I guess that's where Mm. the Madonna, the element of the title comes from, but I guess it's all those things. (laughs) I want to capture the region, but I also, you know, want to put a face to something that's a stereotype. Yeah.
0: Well, speaking of potential stereotype, what does it mean to be Appalachian?
1: I mean, it's so many things. And, and I Mm -hmm. think, you know, you get that idea of, a hillbilly or whatever and and okay. most of the time people okay. imagine like white um uneducated but that's not the the reality of the region there are people mm-hmm. from all different um you know racial backgrounds there are people there are afro poets who are just amazing like crystal wilkinson and frank x walker um, and it means a lot of different things and i think that's why it's so important to get as many voices as we can of people connected to the region to show that to the rest of the world because definitely you have shows like Beverly Hillbillies and stuff you know that that All present right. one picture of it but yeah
0: I'd like you to share with me the titles of five of your poems just pick five poems just big yeah, five
1: poem titles yes um, okay yes. so um we have a lot of poems we, well, one of the poems is called um, Girlhood Landscape, and then we have um, What My Mother Saw, Narcan Metamorphosis, Heroin as Women's Work, and Masculine Epidemic. I think that's five. but you can oh. see that I'm, I'm kind of playing with that idea of, of women and men and the heroin yes. epidemic. Mm-hmm.
0: What I'd like to know is what role should a title play in a book?
1: I think the title, I mean, I titles are hard for me. I read that first poem, Fit to Be Tied, and that mm-hmm. poem was originally called Hillbilly Madonna's and the book was called Fit to Be Tied. And which, mm-hmm. you know, is kind of a, a Appalachian word for or for, and Southern too for being mad. Um, but I think the poem, you know, thinking about what a title for an individual poem does, I think it can do a lot of things. It can either be a clue for how to read the poem. Um, if the poem is more lyric, for instance, it can kind of point you to, um, meaning in some way. It can, um, enhance the meaning. It can build on that meaning in some way, um. You know, titles are hard, Are the hardest thing for me, though. So I always have to sit and think, okay, what's not in this poem that I need to say? That's usually what I'll make my title. <laughs> well,
0: let me ask this Do you
1: name your poems before, during, or after you write them? Usually after. Why? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I don't... For me, the act of writing, I feel best about a poem when the epiphany or the discovery of what the poem's core is happens on the page. So I don't like to start knowing where I'm going. Like I like to let the poem carry me. And if I have a title, sometimes I feel hedged into something, if that makes sense. Whereas sometimes I'll, I'll write like past a lot of times I'll write past my ending where the poem should have ended. And then those kind of extra lines, I'll find a good title there so many times, just like a good bit of language that fits with the poem but isn't necessarily the ending.
0: The the cover of your book is quite striking. Talk a little bit about the process for coming up with the cover.
1: Well, Driftwood is fantastic because they – really have a good eye for art. I know you've talked to other Driftwood writers um, but the James and Jared who are the editors of Driftwood, like their aesthetic for their journal and for their books, clear um, idea of art and aesthetics and so they presented me with a few different covers and this was the one that I felt most drawn to. Um, Mm -hmm. I really liked I liked how subtle it was, how you can kind of see the woman holding the child up on the top of the mountain, but yes. you have to look a little close for it. You know, it looks, mm-hmm. it looks dusty and, and I don't know, it just gave me the feeling of my book. So I really appreciated that. Um, but they did give me a few other different cover ideas and I, I liked those too, but I, I appreciated it because I said, oh, I think that's my That's the one I'm drawn to most. And they they were really generous about being like, okay, we'll do that one then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) How is the book structured? Are the chapters, sections? Well,
1: there are are three sections. um, And I didn't title the sections, but I um, gave them epigraphs of Americana songs different lines, three different lines from um, Americana singers, just because that also felt like, you know, that's the music I love. And I felt like it really went with the feeling of the book to situate that with some music too. Um, but then mm. the, the section, they also kind of explain. So the first one is from Gillian Welch and it says, we cannot have all things to please us no matter how we try so um, that's kind of the before period of the book. So it's kind of chronological, but then I, in the end I break that up a little bit because what I really want to do was structure this into three sections but have mm-hmm. the final section be a sort of blending of the childhood things um, back in with the, the more adult things and then a birth I wanted it to end in this kind of birth suite of poems, which Mm -hmm. shows, you know, there is hope that a new generation can be born and it can be different. But then also we can't ever leave things like generational trauma and addiction. Don't just leave you. There's no easy here and there. Um, It's all kind of cyclical and together it exists together in one space or person. So I tried to, I tried to capture that in these three sections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what what
0: did you learn about yourself writing this
1: book? Who are you left a I learned a lot, I think, because this book yeah, I mean we learn so much when we write poems, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. It's just natural, but this book in particular It made me face a lot of hard things about my family and about my past and about who I was and who I might be now and about, you know, people that I've lost um, to drugs and to other things. It just made me um, learn a lot about, in particular, my mother and how Mm. much she fought to, like, keep me out of the fire, I guess. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and the the hardest thing about this book, really, is that um, my father actually died of COVID uh, this year.
0: Oh, so are you
1: um, Thank you, yeah. Um, and, and mm-hmm. I mean, looking at this book, I had a very fraught kind of difficult relationship with my father. He was very... Um, you know, he didn't really want me to go to college. He didn't appreciate me like being like my mother, basically. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So I wrote this book, you know, before he got sick, really. And it got accepted before he got sick. So I've had to, um, you know, it's it's been published now and I'm kind of going around and talking about it and, and, looking back through everything. I think I've learned a lot about him, um, about why he made his choices, because as I research, you know, people who left Appalachia for another life, a better life, but then didn't find it, which is what happened mm-hmm. to him. He was in poverty, you know, his whole life. He did not break any cycles of anything. And so just just understanding that line and and learning forgiveness for all of that, which I don't think is really present in the book with the figure of the father who is at times my father. And of course, like poetry not memoir. So, you know, there are other aspects just of masculinity that I put into the character of the father. But I think it, it has helped me to understand a lot about people like him and the choices that he made, if that makes sense. Yes, I
0: can understand. <laughs> For those listeners who do not know where Appalachia is located, where is it located?
1: That is a great question because um, I think a lot of people think of Appalachia as, um, you know, even my own family. I am just now understanding what Appalachia is. But it runs through West Virginia. West Virginia is entirely Appalachian. But then there are parts of it, you know, through um, Ohio, like the southeastern Part of Ohio, even up northern in Ohio, there are parts um, down into Tennessee. It's kind of a range that that goes along that eastern side, um, and and really is concentrated there in West Virginia.
0: Because I lived in Cincinnati for for six years, I graduated from the University of Cincinnati. In oh, yeah. Kentucky, yes, many times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, very nice. I wanted to talk to you about that. Okay. Yeah. If you had to give advice to your readers before they open the book, what would you tell them?
1: Um, I would just say, you know, um come to it with an an open heart and an open mind, um you know, and and allow yourself to to get an understanding that might be different than than what you think, um especially about Women who um, mm-hmm. make choices that that might not be the the same choices that we expect women or mothers to make because I feel like we're we're so hard on mothers and um, just be open to that human element. All right. Please share, me. Sure. So since um, we're talking about Carolyn, so much here. I think I'll read Narcan Metamorphosis. The first time they bring my sister back, her blood has clotted into a slug. It creeps through her veins, observes with its baleful eye the canyons of her, her dark cornered scissor ribs, how they pierce through her stomach like a baby's foot, how the clot finds its way to intestines, where it breaks apart, waterfalls the GI tract. Until the doctors have to take that, large and small intestines, replaced with a winding road, we would walk to our fathers, up and down the hill, around the bend. And again, they take her face, which is the stamen of a daisy, anther and filament neck, her hair falling out in clumps, petals. They take her fingers, with shiver notes on the clean white sheets, her toes blackened and swollen, her teeth. The next time they bring her back, half her heart has turned stone, as if she has seen her own image in a mirror, as if she's caved off parts. The doctors go in with a chisel plow, break up the hard pan soil between organ and bedrock, remove and replace it with a bovine valve, cow heart, Sister, And because the cattle are so like us, grieve when separated, isolated, notice threats and stigma, branded with stigmata or a name across the side, she is the same girl. And she returns to the needle again. Thank you.
0: What is the purpose of that poem? What are you attempting to convey?
1: I think... For me, it is this understanding of, um, you know, a lot of times people want to vilify people who, you know, get brought back by something like Narcan and um, go through all of this reha- rehabilitation, um, mm-hmm. medical intervention, and we want to say like, that what is that? It doesn't make sense. Um, you know why? Do they keep doing this? What's wrong with them? You know, and and I think this poem, I wanted to um, show that struggle as something more mythic to show it as not personal um, failing or weakness. I used some images, for instance, um, from Paradise Lost to show this struggle yes. of, of. um for the spirit really of of trying to survive and and it being bigger than a human can handle, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to take that struggle and make it human and epic and, and um, something that people can feel instead of just judge.
0: Yes. You write exceptionally well. Thank you. What I'd like to know is what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had
1: power? I think I always wrote in poetry, which is so weird to say, but I have always been drawn to, um, you know, rhythmic speaking, and I, I was drawn to rhyme. So my mom likes to talk about when I would get journals um, when I was little, I would write just like in rhyming poems. And, and something to that, something about that seemed um, natural for me. Mm-hmm. I just
0: mm-hmm. felt
1: drawn to it. But, but I remember, you know, in particular reading poets, like um, one of the first ones that I read was who I really felt that connection to was um, the poet HD and her use of myth and image and just how much can live in an image Without um explaining it, just the the images in general, I was really drawn to kind of as a high school student, that mm-hmm. idea that that you can let just like an art let an image fester and and just presenting that in language has a lot of power. I think that idea was really moving to me. and then just I have always been drawn to music too. Um, so for instance Tori Amos was a big influence for me and I remember being you know maybe 12 or 13 years old and I heard her music for the first time and she is so lyric and weird and and her songs don't even make sense sometimes you know and I remember just feeling like oh you can do that like you can use language that way that is amazing so I just I love language and I love to play with it and
0: yeah. Did she sing, what if God is one of us?
1: Yeah, no, that was Joan. She sang God, though. <laughs> she has a song okay. called <laughs> uh, <there>. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's you
0: like that. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to be up, up, up to date. <laughs> you spoke of one person. And again, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some other individuals that you view as being great in your eyes, and why?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, really, another poet, and and um, I was really lucky to be able to, you know, work for her for work with her for a week at the Palm Beach Poetry mm-hmm. Festival. But Nicole Brown, um, I don't know if you know that poet. She is phenomenal and she has two books one called well she has more than that but two books that i read that really influenced me were her book sister and then she has another book called fanny says which is about her grandmother fanny who is just kind of this you know smoking cloroxing big haired um, character figure who's just amazing and and the way that nicole brown used language uses language is like she captures a place she captures people, but it's still so elevated and so lyric. And I just, I love it. Um, I love Tracy K. Smith for the same kind of reasons. Her "Weight in the Water and Life on Mars both are just so incredibly, I, I don't know, I, I love the, the elevated lyric and then also the kind of ordinary, how they blend together into one. Um also, Maggie Smith has been really inspirational mm-hmm. for me. Her whole journey um, as a mother, I connect so much to to her work and her story. And she's, you know, a, an she's someone that I I aspire to um, produce work the way that she does. Um, but I don't. They're just so and like the way back when I was the younger child, the Sylvia Plath, of course, and and um, those older poets like Edna St. Vincent Millay. And, yes, I um,
0: love her.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. So I just love – I mean, I really – I love to say that there aren't really – I mean, there are bad poets, but not really. You know, like uh, most mm-hmm. of the poets' mm-hmm. books of poetry I read, like poets are – you know, they know what they're doing, and I can always find mm-hmm. something – That's just beautiful and interesting in someone who feels drawn to that genre of poetry. You know, you really come alive
0: when you talk about these poets and what poetry can do. You really come alive. You really, really do. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering, you've been writing for a while. Because a pain, letting your guard down, of
1: building a wall. Hmm. I think. I mean, it can be both, to be honest, mm-hmm. because I think I am drawn to poetry for the way that it protects. You know, I don't. Ha- I don't have to write a memoir where I just lay everything out for everybody. I can hide myself, but also. I can speak a truth, you know. So uh-huh. I'm letting letting the guard down a little bit, but also I can construct this, you know. Um, Marianne Moore, I put on Twitter that I dressed up in for Halloween as an imaginary garden with a real toad in it for my class, which is really nerdy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what she as a poem is, you know. It's like an imaginary garden with a real toad so you know the toad is like letting your guard down and then the imaginary garden is kind of that wall that we build that's like this beautiful thing but if you look close enough you'll find that that little toad in there (laughs) that's the
0: (laughs) the vulnerability i guess
1: yes vulnerability
0: does it hurt you to write poetry if not why not it does hurt
1: to write poems i yeah yeah, I mean, but it doesn't. Too, I mean, it's both. You can't, you can't not do it, but it hurts to do it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Because I think for me, it it is. I, I have to let bottles go to those places that don't feel so great. Um, to speak into those and kind of get past and get through whatever it is in there that that is uncomfortable for me to kind of air it out. Um, and that that can be really painful, um, mm-hmm. but after it's done, it's very it's it feels a lot better. So
0: yes, it it's does. Little, yeah. Yes, it does. It, it's extremely cathartic, and being able to vent is so important. To bottle that stuff up and walk around with it every day—that's a lot. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. You've got to find some mechanism, some way of, some way of just expressing yourself. I'd like you to tell me about a poem you are proud of writing, but afraid to share for fear of possible misinterpretation.
1: Mm-hmm. So, um, there's a poem in here. Mm-hmm. That, um, you know, there. Are, I think there are a lot of poems about my father actually in here that I'm very afraid, um, you know, I haven't really read much yet at readings Mm -hmm. and things because I don't want people to see him as a monster, even though he was monstrous at times. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think for the sake of this book, you know, I did not put in very much like goodness of my father Okay. um because you know uh and I keep saying poetry is not memoir but because I I wanted him to the father character in this book to represent masculinity um and oppressive masculinity in some ways yes. so mm-hmm. um i think the worst ones of him maybe even on cutting him off is one in this mm-hmm. book that that i get very nervous about reading because I don't want people to see my father as just a monster because of what's happened to him now. You know, if he were still alive, he could answer to whatever I say. But, yes. but now I've kind of painted a version that that people who don't understand poetry or people who who see poetry as just purely confession mm-hmm. might think, oh, that that's all he was, you know. <laughs> So. Yes, I, I do
0: understand that. So how do you balance that? How are you able to submit your manuscript knowing that there are potentially words in it that describe someone in a way that maybe you didn't always see in that way?
1: Yeah. Well, um, for me, I thought he will never read it. That's what I you know. And, okay. and I thought I didn't like saying okay. any lies about him in this. You know what I mean? Yes. Like there are lies about him. And I didn't tell his biggest secrets which, um, Mm -hmm. I actually, uh, I did one podcast shortly after he passed and I did say something that I had to then like write to the, to the, um, it was through Bull City Press and say, please, can you take that part out? You know? (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and in my mind, and I kind of put this in the, there, there's an interview in the back of the book, which really helps because Driftwood, they publish along with the books, an interview with the writer where you get to kind of talk at length about mm-hmm. different things. And I talked about how my mom said, oh, you can't write about me till after I'm dead because my mom reads everything I do. And so right. there are parts of <laughs> her story that are in here. Yeah, which there are parts of her in here. She has given me permission for. So then kind of all the bad things I had to kind of put on him, you know, because <laughs> I thought to myself, he's not going to read this. I'm not going to put anything on her. <laughs> so, you know, but you didn't expect him to, Oh, I didn't expect him to pass. And so, you know, I, I've written a lot of stuff about I, I'm very critical of of masculinity and um the patriarchy, especially how it functions to mm-hmm. um, you know, oppress women in in these kind of especially in the with the idea of um parenthood and um drug abuse, you know, men like Kurt Cobain get uh, hero status, whereas like Courtney Love is, is awful, you know. <laughs> so um yes. I'm very critical of that. So sometimes he becomes, the, the word father becomes symbolic for me, and I'm not necessarily thinking about him. But then after his death, I had to be like, well, oh. you know, his ashes are on my mantle, like he's gone. Oh, really? And what it, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. That's, I'm sure that's a huge thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been, it's been, um, it's been complicated trying to come term, to terms with who he was, and and who I who he was to me, and who he was really, you know, which is
0: mm-hmm.
1: is different. That's I guess all of our parents. That's what we have to come to terms with. Oh, oh, yes, <laughs>
0: that's true. I know that. Uh, <laughs> uh, when you think about, it sounds like in your book there's a lot of emotion. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take just a short little break here. But I'd like you to think about this question and you answer it once we return. Do you think someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? All right. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. We are back. I am Michael Anthony Engler. I am here with the thoughtful sincere and authentic Sarah Mo Wagner mm-hmm.
1: Thank you. What do you think about that
0: question about the emotions?
1: Uh, that thoughts? is a hard one Michael <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think yeah I mean I think that, that poetry is of the emotion and that you have to, you know, if you don't feel something when you're writing the poem, then you can tell on the page. You know, if, um, if I'm just writing some kind of exercise because I feel like I need to write, um, sometimes those can be interesting. It's more mm-hmm. intellectual and um, thought-based. And sometimes those can be good, but I think the real magic comes when, when you can feel that the poet felt while they're writing a poem and I can remember what I felt when I read the poem that I wrote. Um, that's, that's where the beauty is, I think. Can you share a poem. Sure. I'll share Passing It On. I want to make a child from the one I have lost. To make the base of her noble by some means. Alchemy, the tin girl my father built from junkyard scraps. Golden now. I'll pull her out of my pocket, hunched in the woods over a patch of clover. Show her to my daughter. Say, aren't I so lucky to keep carrying this with me? Look what I've done for myself. How far I have come. Bury her deep in the creeping water primrose root that strangle the section of the pond where we search for snails, one after the other, turn them upside down to find a body. It's funny what's lost, how we pull up fistfuls of empty spiral shells, how I put the girl I have made deep into the webbing of organic matter, say live or at least absorb the heat from the August sky, the tilt of the moon, Neptune to blue your eyes, it never has worked that way. Instead, the metal of the girl I let die leeches into the water supply. We drink it and swell with the grief of being born like this. Swell our fingers, our kidneys and toes. Grow so large the world won't miss us. How we burst open, vermilion the bank of this quiet space we've tried to sacred. How we are just one color now, red, better for it. Thank you.
0: Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on the editing process?
1: Mm, I have friends who do, you know, all of those different things. So, you know, there are here in in the Cincinnati area where I live, I have three kind of best poetry friends who might be listening to this right now, um Caroline Plaskett, mm-hmm. Kristen Noel Kaufman, and Ray Hoffman Jagger, who I mentioned earlier and we all have different approaches to this and and Kristen um, Noel Kaufman, she is very meticulous with her kind of editing and working through each part, but I write in a torrent, and a lot of times I will you know, I write very fast. I kind of write as I'm feeling something to kind of capture whatever magic Mm -hmm. is in that that single feeling. And and sometimes I will go in and revise um, heavily for a long time. Recently, I sent out a packet of poems and I revised this one poem. I, I probably, it was like 12 different days that I kept trying to send this packet out, but this poem just was not right. So I could not let it go. But but my mm. method for revision really is I will write like that to capture something, um, to get it all out at it once very fast. And then I put it aside for a whole month and I don't look at it again because I want to forget that feeling a little bit so that I can yes. turn on that more critical critical eye and and not be in the feeling and take out what isn't capturing that or what isn't working so i think i have two two sides to me that i don't edit in the moment like my friend kristen but i definitely revise heavily (laughs) all right you know
0: so much is happening in the world today the good the bad the ugly and the indifferent What I want to know is, what should be the role of a poet in modern-day society?
1: Mm, Yeah. I mean, I think that the poets that we've had as Poet Laureate, you know, like Joy Harjo and now Ada Limon, um, they're doing really amazing things to kind of bring poetry and voices of of people we might not normally hear to the masses um, to Mm -hmm. give them, give them something to connect to, you know, because if we lose poetry, if we lose that beautiful art, what are we left with to, to connect Mm -hmm. one spirit to another? And, and we'll start to build all of those walls that kind of separate us from each other, that make the world, are making that—that's why the world is what it is—is is because we can't, you know, speak heart to heart and understand each other in the way that poetry allows us to do. And and poetry has been around, you know, since since human beings could first put words to anything, even orally before they could write. So, um, it it is way of passing on a lot of the truth of what it means to be human and and bridging gaps in time and space and everything. And so um, the role Mm -hmm. of the poet is to to try to bring that to people, whether it's children in (laughs) schools or through the radio like you're doing, which is just beautiful, Um, you know, bring that to as many people as you can. Uh, Yeah, thank
0: you. You know, I asked you at the very beginning about enthusiasm. But you're very <laughs> enthusiastic. <Yes. laughs> yeah. like, you're very enthusiastic. Yeah. And then again, you don't know me, so you had to warm up to me. So <laughs> <laughs> That's just like reading a book of poetry. You've got to warm up to it initially. There may be things and situations in it that you're not ready for at that beginning, God. But if you take your time with it, I think he'll believe Madonna may be this way. Maybe some things that you have never thought
1: about. For sure, yeah, it's something that that I hope people can can warm up into and and see. You know, the the plan for this, which as I said, mm-hmm. is to change what people think and make people see this region and people who come for this region differently, especially women. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, you share at readings, poetry readings, am I correct? And poetry, yeah. okay, great. What is the relationship, Sarah, between your
1: speaking voice and your
0: reading voice?
1: Um. Well, I, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I, I it, My one of my mentors, Pauletta Hansel, she's really helped me to improve as a reader. I don't Mm -hmm. I always say that people don't become poets because they like to perform and be in front of people. Um, Mm -hmm. We would be actors or singers or something if we like to do that. So I know there are poets who are spoken word poets and who do um, come to poetry from that more oral and performance based side, but That's something that Mm -hmm. I've had to kind of learn to do. Yes. And Mm -hmm. um, I try just to be myself. I try to be genuine and vulnerable when I read. But Pauletta, circling back to her, I I was talking. She has this, like, lovely, calming um, reading voice. And I I kind of respond to the crowd. So, you know, I feel Mm -hmm. like I, I feel very comfortable with you because you're just so... You know warm and joyful and it makes me <laughs> want to match that but um yeah. I've been in front of crowds where they just stare at you and they don't say anything they don't laugh at your jokes and then I get very nervous yes, and I... she told me um don't think of it as performing think of it as hosting like you like to host mm-hmm. and you like to be friends with people and And talk to people and connect with people think of a reading that way as you know you want everybody to be comfortable you want everybody to hear um you want Mm -hmm. them to take something away and that that speaks to me i like that idea of a reading being like hosting someone to your your private space and making sure they're comfortable Mm -hmm. and they they can hear you and yeah
0: Yes. You know, that's my goal on this show, to make people feel comfortable, because you're sharing, in many instances, very personal, you know what I'm saying, very personal information. Yes. And uh, yeah. that's not easy. Very, it makes you very vulnerable. But I want people to feel that this is a safe place. I really do. Yeah, let me yeah
1: ask I take that well.
0: <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> let me ask you, do you think you like to be a poet? I do. Um, Tell me more. I, I think, Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, when I was in high school, my um, senior superlative was most likely to be an author. Like, I feel like uh, the only thing I've ever been good at is poetry. And oh, really? really, if I didn't I do that, I don't believe
0: that, Sarah. I do not believe <laughs>
1: that. I'm not done let you saying that on the air from these millions of people.
0: <laughs> i am not gonna let that be the final takeaway
1: <laughs> i mean Michael, i cannot i just learned to ride a bike over covid <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah it's just it's it, i feel like there was one you know there's that two roads diverging i had one road that was like, okay, this is your thing, (laughs) and then it became my thing, you know, like my brother, I have one brother who's really good at visual art, and Mm -hmm. I tried that, and it's like the kind of thing where people are like, did a child make that, you know, and then my other brother is very good at science, and you know, I just, poetry, I just love it, it's, it's something that I choose to read above everything else, it's something that Mm -hmm. I'm drawn to in writing. It's just all there is for me, really.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. what surprises you most about being a poet?
1: I think, you know, this whole journey to like actually having books has been a lot Mm -hmm. for me. Um, Just because I never thought, I mean, I, I always was Trying to you know publish and and be this thing and then all of a sudden actually I I won I had two my first books both of them came out this year and I won the wow. Cider Press Review Editors yeah. Prize for my first book mm-hmm. Swan Wife but I found out about that and this in the same week which was oh. crazy yeah <laughs> and so just the idea of I I mean, and it's been a lot for me to come to terms with because I've always been just kind of hungry, you know, like I'm going to do this, I can do this. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we want your work and it can happen. And now I'm like, oh, how do I like recalibrate myself as an artist now that I'm not just like. Fighting all the time, you know, and um <laughs> trying to prove myself because I feel like yes. that's that drove me so much to try to say oh, I can do this i'm I'm capable of this mm-hmm. um, so now just you know figuring out okay what what what's my role now for the next mm-hmm. part of my life as a poet and I think it is focused on that that idea of of education, um, mm-hmm. I've been pouring myself into teaching and I'm about to go teach some workshops at Bowling Green um, this weekend just thinking about um, how to, to transition into teaching and, um, like, talking about craft in a different way than just hustling all the time well, is we've important.
0: My favorite part of the program, I call it mm. a scaled-down version of a mini-concert this is where you have an opportunity to read three or four poems back to back, no interruptions from me. Mm. Just read your truth. You're on stage. Okay.
1: I'll read three poems from the end here. Okay. This one's called How to Cope. A long time ago, I built a stick house by the railroad tracks in the backyard of my childhood. Covered myself with leaves, and the earth was as small as my bony wrist. I was escaping, like our father always has, to the woods. Later, the sheeted cold, the sky metallic as a gun barrel, and not one thing was natural or small. Not one thing. This is the secret. Buried under brush, Osage oranges piled like landmines, no one came to find me. The mind of a parent can keep you in your bed, tucked, even when you're lying under foliage, heavy as your own body. I don't want you to be afraid to walk shoeless into the wide fields, but look at how the ground splits beneath us, cantaloupe rind dropped, these seeds. Imagine safety while the girl sleeps alone. The buzzing of mosquitoes, the rattle of passing. You'll know what the world looks like, how sometimes nothing is watching you slip away. Mm. This one's called Idle and Lawless. All beautiful like the side of the hill, dirt and rocks and wildflowers. The mosquitoes low over the rain-filled tire tracks. Bees hover, test the sugar in our sweat. With lit cigarettes pressed between our lips, we flick the ash onto the wet side of the earth. We are playing boys, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. The creek is high, we wade barefoot, jeans rolled up to our inner thigh. We are looking for an image to latch onto, to start us rolling through the rock. We want to run from something, towards something, to solve the mystery, to get out. I don't want to be Tom, I say, because he always was clowning, and let's be real. I am the smart one. We'll build a raft from all these sticks. We'll leave you with that needle in your arm like a box of stolen gold. We'll leave you because I can. And making you this story just as a blood oath, I will borrow your lines and flee west. I'm always the one to run from it. I'm always the one to run. The last one I'll read you is more of a landscape poem. Um, It's called Elements of Decay. On the road up the side of our mountain, through the chinks in the trees, there's evidence we cared for something. A decorative awning over a sagging porch Black streaked windows busted out and boarded. Beyond, there is a hand-carved mantle. Through the layers of cardboard patching the hole the water has worn under the sink, there's a foundation laid by hands ready to call the land home, to cut away the wilderness and sleep. Poison ivy boiling the surface of the skin like the rusty water in the pot on the wood stove. Boiling water and skin means work. To be ready to work for a bed with sheets hung out in the sun. Until the hunger comes and we're all on our knees in the church, opening our mouths for bread. And like those crows who swoop down to steal even the light, we'd eat the fire blooming on the candles. The wick, the wax, we'd eat the fingers of the father, eat the sandstone cliffs, the whisper of a bobcat in the woods. We are hungry, want to adapt to a landscape claiming back what we took from it. Our bodies sinking into the soil, pulled down like the siding we keep pushing up with anything we can find that sticks. And like we do, the trees put their roots into the creek to cool off. And that, too, looks like shelter. When we walk, the frogs and snakes disappear into it. Thank you.
0: Do you live your life like it's a play? Okay?
1: Um, I don't know. The um, I do have three little kids, so sometimes it's really oh, hard. Do you? Yeah, I mean, you're telling me <laughs> it's really hard for me to do that. <laughs> I understand, I understand. Yeah, they, they won't There's, let me, especially my 13-year-old. They won't let you. <laughs> right,
0: you didn't want to, they yeah. Knowing that your poems are published and out, of, out there in the world validates you being a poet. Or are you content knowing they're out of your system?
1: Yeah, I mean, I do think I, I want them to be, you know, out in the world. I don't, I I feel like we all write in some way because we don't want to die. And maybe that's just me, (laughs) you know, it's this, this desire to have something of me that lasts and, and to say something that, that won't leave the earth because I know I will. Um, And so having them out there in some small way kind of is a comfort to me that, okay, that maybe this will touch someone and it'll go on to the next thing and and a little piece of me can live forever, in a way. You know, I hope that's the goal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, you're doing it. You're giving Mm -hmm. voice to the voiceless and that's extremely Mm -hmm. important. We've Mm -hmm. reached the end of our poetic journey. Mm -hmm. But before we go... (laughs) <laughs> I'd like you to at least share one more. Just one more. That sure. Just something.
1: I would love to. Um, this is the the third or yeah, third to last poem in the collection. It's called Even If These Promises Are True. The oak tree's bud leaves small as a mouse's ear. All the fathers abandon their children, wives folded into torn sheets to go hunt morels, tucked close to the bark, oak, ash, elm, hickory, sweet naked morning, shoeless and stripped as the apple orchard. And then why does the morel love a tree? Tied either to roots or dirt, they grow and regrow. And our father never knows enough to tell us why just that a fungus, bulbous and blonde as a daughter, comes back and back again each year, triggered by the loss of winter, a snap of warmer days, the first promise you've overcome it, you will overcome it. Wake to our father hovering over you with a dish of them, meaty and tender, sautéed simply in fresh Amish butter or battered and fried, stuffed full of cream cheese, And you will eat and eat until you feel better, until you forgive him for it, for abandoning you, to hunt, for developing his eye, to always turn to the earth, to the dark soil, to the roots, then body of the sycamore, where if nothing is budding, at least he can tap it, drink that water sap, keep on. Thank you.
0: Where can listeners find your work?
1: Um, you can find me at www. dot com, and um, my book Hillbilly Madonna is available from Driftwood and wherever books are sold. And Swan Wife is available from Cider Press Review. All right.
0: So again, they can stay in touch through your website. Yes. Yes.
1: Our right. website has a What's contact if they want to reach out. Um, actually, I've you? written. I've um, written a book about Annie Oakley. Weirdly. <laughs> I've moved away from talking about my shuttle. Yeah.
0: You have to come back for that one. I love it.
1: Yeah. When that one gets published, I'm going to reach out to you. I love it. I love it. I I needed a break.
0: You must write all the time. Yes, I do. <laughs> Got three kids. And you've written the Book of Hours. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> As we were talking this whole hour, I kept seeing, envisioning, a movie in your future, of okay, uh, Billy Madala. I don't know something came over me, and I said, "You know what?" I'm gonna see this somewhere else.
1: Yeah, that would be. I, I'm yeah. serious. I mean, cool. I don't know why they came over me like that, but it really, really did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully, it'll be better than hildli allergy. We'll <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I I replace to, that I
0: one. Thank you. <laughs> I want to thank you so much. You're incredibly talented. Your work is. It's sublime. You, you tackle tough issues in a in a way that's big and palatable to the system. Sometimes palatable to the system, sometimes not. A nice balance, I think. So, um, wow.
1: I just want to say thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. This was really wonderful.
0: I appreciate, I appreciate
1: it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We
0: started off slow, but we we, we got it. We got it. We killed it at the end. I All right, to our listening audience, I want to thank you for tuning in as you always do, and as I share with you every week that poetry rings somewhere throughout the land. Good night, everybody. Good night, Sarah.
1: Good night. Thank you so much again.
0: Yes. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.